When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. All right, welcome this week uh, to Product Coffee. Um, I'm sitting here with Carolyn Pan, uh, the CMO of Bright Machines. Super excited to have you on the show, Carolyn. Well, thanks, Kevin. I'm really happy to be here. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Just like, what's your elevator pitch? And and talk to me a little bit more about uh, what you do at Bright Machines. So, as you mentioned, I'm the chief marketing officer at Bright Machines. Bright Machines is a technology company that is um, really innovating um, in the space of manufacturing. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But let me give you just a quick overview of my background. Um, you know, I've worked in and around the manufacturing sector for my entire career. I graduated with an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering, and I've had, you know, almost a 30-year career in manufacturing, which is pretty scary to think about at this point because it doesn't feel like it's been that long. Um, you know, mostly I've been at big corporations before Bright Machines, so really um, recognizable household names like Ford Motor Company, Intel, Hewlett Packard, Honeywell. Um, these were all, you know, incredible companies that are pioneers in their spaces, whether it's automotive, tech, uh, industrial. And I really cut my teeth, um, you know, during that time, learning about how products get made, um, the challenges of uh, large-scale production. And, you know, how to actually start using technology to make those activities more efficient, more effective over time. Um, so, you know, uh, after uh, working at Ford, I got my MBA. I moved out of engineering and mostly into marketing and strategy roles. Uh, I also spent a long time overseas in China, uh, 13 years uh, as an expat. Um, also hard to believe. Um, but uh, it's just been a fascinating journey. Um, so after the China stint, I came back to the States in t- 2018 uh, with Honeywell, relocated back to their global headquarters, which is now in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I'm based. And um, I joined Bright Machines right smack in the middle of COVID. Uh, one of those, you know, 100% remote from the start employees. And I've been at the company about a little over a year now. Love that. That's an interesting background. Um, we haven't had too many manufacturing PMs on the show, but we have had a few. So Ooh. love to chat more about that. Um, but te- uh, yeah, go into Bright Machines just a little bit more. Tell me uh, you know, what you currently do there. I, you mentioned CMO, but yeah, what does that entail? Yeah. Well, yeah, let me uh, break it down into two parts, maybe. I'll start a little bit about what Bright Machines is, what we're trying to do, and talk a little bit about the marketing organization. Um, So the company was founded about four years ago 
and really was started with a vision to change the way final assembly of products work. You think about a lot of consumer products today or even, you know, industrial B2B type products, a lot of them are still assembled by hand. This is, you know, you can imagine, right? Really tedious, time-consuming, manual labor, highly difficult to scale. And, um, you know, it's really expensive if you think about trying to do something like that in a country like the U.S., right? So as a result, a lot of the manufacturing of this type of product, these types of products, um, have migrated overseas over the last several decades. Um you know, I think that as you, as many people have been experiencing during the pandemic, um, it's not so easy to do that anymore, right? I mean, the supply chain crisis has really personally affected everyone in the world. And we're now seeing how difficult it can be to manufacture all your products overseas, try to put them on a ship, a container, um, you know, hope that it gets into a port somewhere, hope that it doesn't get clogged up that way, hope it gets stuck on a truck and then delivered to a store that you can actually, <laughs> you know, place an order at or go to and buy. Um, so, you know, I think that there's just a lot of, you know, macro trends that are happening these days that are teaching us that the supply chains that we have been relying on these global supply chains that we thought were so robust actually are pretty fragile. Mm. And so a lot of companies are now rethinking their manufacturing strategy. Um, do we still want to outsource so much or do we want to think about bringing some of that home? Um, I think the challenge with that is, is that it's not, it's kind of easier said than done, right? You just can't replicate a massive, factory that you might see in China, for example, with hundreds and thousands of workers easily in Connecticut or, you know, even Charlotte, North Carolina. It's the labor costs are too high and the labor shortage for those types of manufacturing jobs is also really high. Mm. So a lot of companies are trying to turn towards automation to help with that, to help scale that um, effort. Um, and so when I then talk about automation, it's, you know, using robotics, right, to um, replace those manual tasks with something that is more repeatable, um, faster, more effective. The challenge with that is that um, demand can be unpredictable, right? Mm -hmm. The product that a company designs may hit the market and be really popular, or it could fall flat. And so you have to really think about how you're going to be able to predict the type of demand for each of these products and how you're going to be, be a little bit more proactive and right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Responsive, mm -hmm. um, agile, right. All these things mm -hmm. that talk about, you know, when you're thinking about product definition and design. Um, yeah. So that's what Bright Machine is trying to do, right? So this is where we come in, is how do you automate your factories, but make them really flexible as well, adaptable? Mm. How do you use all the advances that we have had in software, AI, machine learning to apply it to this problem and to make those assembly lines in these factories in a place like the U.S., make them 
programmable, make it easy to switch products on the fly, make it easy to adjust to a, a range of different conditions, to scale your capacity up and down in a way that is just as simple as, you know, um, touching a touch screen and changing a recipe. Wow. I can see the correlation there with, uh, you know, product management. And there, there's product operations, which is this new function that is kind of put, getting a lot of attention recently. But it's a similar kind of theme where, you know, you're fo- it's more on software, I, I, you know, for the extent. But uh, how do you actually construct the environment to develop great products quickly? Right. And so I, I definitely see a lot of that, uh, that correlation. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're going to see more and more the whole product design and development cycle get more and more compressed over time, right? Agreed, yeah. Um, And I think it's important to be able to do that because as a company, if you can compress that cycle, then you can be that much more responsive to your customers, to your end customers, right, to the market, and you can um, adjust as you need to stay flexible and also, you know, be more competitive at the same time. I love that. Yeah. Focus on the customer, right? Like it really helps you develop good products. So um, you asked, you know, in terms of the scope of my role, right? So yeah. as chief marketing officer, um, essentially I lead all of marketing for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is kind of the whole soup to nuts from brand communications, digital strategic marketing. I actually have product marketing as well. Uh, and something we call industry marketing all the way through to demand gen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a small company still, right? You know, only four years in existence, as I mentioned. Um, so, you know, we have a kind of what I call it small and mighty marketing team, um, but they're great. And um, how know, big is the team? You the team is actually only six people, not including six myself. People. Um, So, uh, you know, you kind of have one person for each of those various functions. And then I myself also wear a couple of additional hats. So, you know, if I need to, I'm doing investor relations, you know, analyst relations, affairs, you name Mm. it. Um, But it's been a lot of fun. It's been, um, you know, an interesting transition for me from so many years in corporate, really large corporate into mm-hmm. uh, a high growth startup, but it's been a blast. Yeah. Tell me about that journey. I want to hear, um, you, know, the, you know, coming in, you've been at this company, you said for four years, is that right? I've been um, at Bright Machines one year. One year. Okay. Sorry. So now, yeah, coming from a corporate environment to Bright Machines and tell me about that transition coming in as a C-suite executive into a startup at the stage that they're in. Like there's a, that's a journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny um, a lot of people ask me this question, right? Because even myself, for a long time, I thought, you know, I've been working in corporate for so long, maybe that's just my destiny, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. Right? I'm just sort of down this path, and maybe this startup scene is just, you know, it's not in the cards for me. Even mm-hmm. though, um, I'll be honest, there were many, many points along the way where I did actively contemplate leaving corporate and going into a startup. I just always thought that it would be, you know, such an interesting and different experience, Um, you know, similar to when I went um, overseas as an expat for the first time, Mm -hmm. right? Adventure that you should have at least one time in your life and, um, you know, Mm -hmm. learn and grow from it. And I think just the, the right opportunity, you know, just never 
either came my way or it just wasn't the right time. And it wasn't mm. until Bright Machines came calling that I thought, wow, this is something really unique. Um, it was a startup, but it was a more mature startup. I already had a couple hundred employees had extremely seasoned leadership team. Um, it had, you know, kind of the, the kernels of a marketing organization, um, but big ambitions to scale that up, to consolidate all those functions that I mentioned before, which were previously sort of disparate and spread across mm. other C-suite members. Um, you know, a real desire to elevate the brand, reposition it, clarify the messaging, you know, be more aggressive communicating externally. So, and, and it was in a sector where I had a lot of experience, right? So I felt like I could pull from all those years of being in the trenches myself, mm. walking the manufacturing line myself, um, you know, having been on the shoes of what are now the customers of Bright Machines um, to, you know, kind of bring to the role and be able to speak from personal experience as we're crafting the narrative. So it just, it was a kind of all the stars aligned, if you will. And it was just a, a, good, a good way to say it. Yeah, to, to, you know what, why not? Let's <laughs> take the jump and, you know, see how it is. And it's been really a breath of fresh air. I really have enjoyed it. And especially being at the C-suite level, right, it's um, you, know, you have a lot of autonomy and I was given a lot of leeway to, um, you know, set the strategic direction for the organization and, um, you know, build it the way you know, I thought would be best for the company. Yeah, it sounds like such a journey too. And then, and then the uh, um, stars aligned. I think that's kind of that aha moment. It's it's not really just one thing, right? It's like the timing. It's all these factors, and 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 yeah, that really kind of kick you into that um, next opportunity. Well, tell me a little bit more about product in the function. Like, how how does it work today? How do you all interact with product? Um, what does that look like? Yeah. So um, I think. Like many companies, we have, um, you know, a variety of functions or you can call them departments within the company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm running the marketing function, but we also have a product function. We have engineering. We have the sales team. Right. And all of these groups need to work really collaboratively together. And I'm a big mm -hmm. component of, you know, trust and transparency and a lot of collaboration between the groups because, you know, that just gives you a better result in the end. And, you know, as a marketer, I think one of the things that sometimes you can get stuck in a situation where you're just kind of the recipient of a lot of other work that goes on, you know, earlier in the process. And I, I don't really disagree, you know, agree with that, right? I don't think mm. that marketing should be relegated to the end of the process. Like, okay, marketing, right. our product, here you go, name it, brand it, dress it up, you know, sell it, <laughs> right? We need to get involved up front in the product. Absolutely. And I think we should have a voice at the table. Um, I actually saw a recent article um, and I um, can't remember who the author was uh, to attribute it to, but I thought it was really interesting where um, the person who was writing it had said, you know, we should rethink the chief marketing officer title, 
right? You look at these other titles, chief product officer, chief revenue officer, um, chief financial officer. They are um, responsible for, you know, it's a noun, right? It's like a scope of responsibility, mm. whereas chief marketing officer is kind of like an action verb, right? It's a thing that you're doing um, versus, you know, a space that you're occupying. And that's mm. really interesting. And the person who wrote this article said, you know, the, the title should be redefined to be chief market officer because, you know, you think about it, right? You have an opportunity as marketing to help define what market or what space your company is going after, right? Defining what the opportunity size is, who your customers should be, what vertical segments you can be going after. How do you prioritize? How do you prioritize market product market fit if you don't have a good understanding of the market, right? Yeah, so. That. Um, you know, I think it really needs to be a good, really strong symbiotic relationship between those functions and, um, you know, a, a real opportunity, I think, for marketing to have a bigger voice, to have a seat at the table and um, be the ones that are vocalizing, you know, these are what the customers are telling us. These are their pain points. These are the dynamics that are going on in the industry and in the ecosystem. These are the kind of competitive forces we need to be thinking about as we're designing our, you know, our next product, building our roadmap, um, bringing in insights around the macroeconomic trends, which are really important. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly for bright machines, right? We're, we're actually um, a kind of positive beneficiary of all the crazy things that are happening with the supply, right. with the pandemic, right? With mm -hmm. labor shortages, because of those, you know, quote unquote, bad things that are happening in the market. It's a wake up call for all these manufacturers to say, wait, we need to think about a better way to do something. And we need to mm -hmm. find another solution like Bright Machines to help us do that. So- um, Love that. What about, so, so tell me more about, I love that, um, you know, this Mac market chief market officer and, and, you know, with what you're doing with bright machines today, yeah. what is that? What are their, um, specific maybe examples of ceremonies or artifacts or, or ways that you collaborate with product to get them that information up front and, and involve it into the development process? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I would say it's not just product, it's also sales, right? Engineering. Right. But one, let, let me give you an example of something that we started last fall. So again, you know, company is only a couple of years into its existence. I think in the earlier years of the company before I joined, um, there was a lot of experimentation going on, right? We knew we had a really interesting product, a really interesting full stack solution, which we call the Bright Machines Micro Factory. It's like an encapsulated, you know, um, robotic cell that you can plug together like Lego building blocks to form an assembly line. Mm. And, um, you know, we thought this, we think this can be a real game changer, but not 100% sure where it would fit the best in terms of type of customer or industry vertical. Mm. 
So there was a lot of experimentation going on, a lot of, you know, talking to different customers, um, you know, the sales team really being very broad in terms of their outreach to determine where we thought the product would have the most relevance. And, um, you know, that I think was great in the first couple of years to be able to get some traction and to start generating revenue. But what it also created was the unintended consequence was we started to have a really diverse install base of customers with all sorts of different needs, all sorts of different demands on the product, Mm. um, which uh, kind of, if you think about it, right, like it, it doesn't, it kind of disperses the focus. And so one of the things that the marketing team did last fall, which they spearheaded, was let's really rethink whether or not there's a smaller handful of industries and types of customers that we should focus on. Um, Now that we've demonstrated that there is product market fit um, and that the solution is valuable, um, how do we think about the areas that we're going to get the best bang for our buck? Right. Yeah. And so we did a big tops down market analysis to say, okay, if we carve out, you know, global industrial automation is expected to be a $250 billion market over the next Mm. year, growing to $300 billion by 2026. If you break that down, you know, between process manufacturing, discrete manufacturing, if you break it down by region, if you break it down by vertical, if you break it down, you know, by the types of customers that we can serve, right? How do we get to a good kind of meaty list of say three to five industries, 40 to 50 customers that we say, hey, this is our sweet spot. And then let's go after those in a big way, in a much deeper way. And Mm -hmm. so that has all sorts of waterfall effect, if you can imagine, right? That helps clarify with the product team on, okay, well, these types of customers want certain types of things. They need certain types of features. They need certain types of assembly skills that are relevant for the products that they make. Um, That also helps clarify for the sales team, who should we be going after? Who should we be prospecting with? How can we get more targeted in terms of you know, our sales uh, uh, outreach. Um, And then for the marketing team, right? How can we also spend our marketing dollars more wisely? Um, So uh, I think it's been a really good thing for a company to, um, you know, it it was important to go through that journey, right? In the Mm -hmm. early stage, figure out exactly, okay, where do we think the, the, the solution is really hitting the mark? And then narrowing down and then driving much deeper focus in fewer areas to be able to give the company a lot more opportunity to scale. I love I love that insight and that collaboration cross-departmentally and giving them the right level of context to, to build out what they go and build out, you know, that, that's super important. So talk to me more about that. Um, collaboration with products specifically and the strategy and roadmap, because you're talking a little bit about how does marketing give the right inputs into, you know, how, how does marketing provide the right level of information for these other departments to implement a strategy? How does that look like with product? Yeah. So, I mean, think about now you have some focus, right, in terms of your target markets. Okay. So then take that down a level or two. Um, you know, I think that 
from there, the product team can be more effective to say, okay, how do we define the product roadmap that's going to service those customers? How do we understand for those specific customers and those specific verticals, what's the real value proposition going to be for not just the stuff that we're building today, but the stuff we want to do in the future? How do we prioritize features? How do we think about communicating the benefits of those features to those customers? Um, It just gives them, I think, a a narrower lens because if the aperture mm-hmm. too wide, I mean, then you can be doing anything and everything. And then <laughs> it's really difficult to build a roadmap that way, right? It's really yeah. difficult to figure out, well, then what should we be doing next if we could be doing everything? So, um, you know, I'm not, it's not to say that later on, right, that you wouldn't widen that, you know, focus, you know, more. But I mm-hmm. think it's kind of this, um, I don't know. I, like it's the wide funnel narrowing down with a, the, to give yourself an opportunity to widen again later in the future. The so, hourglass. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like an hourglass exactly. So, Love it. Um, and it's been great. I mean, my product marketing team, right? They work really closely with the product management team. Mm-hmm. Um, the hand in hand activity, um, and you know they collaborate together on um, you know market research with the customers. Um, we're kicking off um, a number of different customer oriented activities right now, including um, starting to have a more formalized MPS program for um, hmm. advisory boards. And, and and we you know include the product management team in all of this because yeah. um, you know it's sort of like you can't have the left hand not talking to the right and you want the two of them to be working on this together um, so that there's alignment. Absolutely. So talk talk to me about um, any what would have been like any kind of like racy style friction between the two departments. Have you I, uh, have you uncovered anything where like oh, um, you know, they're, they're just butting heads because they're not working well together. Is there anything that you've witnessed and then adjusted or a tactic to help with that? There's always going to be some of that tension between departments. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good, right? It's healthy tension because you need the balance. You need the, the push and pull effect, right? Um, so that things don't just kind of devolve into some stasis where everybody's waiting for somebody else to make the first move. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, I would think, you know, um, a lot of young companies have the similar situation that we're in and we find ourselves in now, which is, you know, really starting to now build out that future forward looking roadmap. Um, I think when you're first starting out and you're iterating and trying to be agile on product development, the idea of putting out a roadmap that's, you know, I don't know, 18 months, 24 months out, it's almost like, why bother, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't even really know what we're doing over the next six to 12. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. But, you know, as a company gets a little bit more mature, I think it's important, especially for enterprise customers, which are the types of customers that we serve, that mm. you know them, you know, have that. Doing, yeah. right? What your path forward is and that they understand that, you know, um, or they have confidence, right? That you're here for the long term and are going to be a good sustainable partner for them. But that's certainly something that's been a pain point for us here at Bright Machines is yeah. how do we develop that um, you know, forward-looking roadmap that we feel confident enough that's gonna stick, right? So, and then be able to share that with customers. 
because, you know, once it's out there in the wild, it's kind of hard to take back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think every company kind of struggles with that in some way, shape or form. I think, you know, some, some enterprise type companies, um, I know Slack has, a, a, you know, a Trello board that's public that, you know, you can actually see the work items. So then that is at least it's updated and it's not just so fixed. It's hard to do that when you're like presenting to a client on a PDF, right. Where it's like so fixed and it's like, Oh, I'm expecting this in this date. And then no, but we still want to be agile. We can't really do both. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to your point, like it's gotten brought up this week around the size of company size of product market fit that you're in. Are you a startup, a scale up or an enterprise? Like, is that, what type of company and what type of communication around product roadmap is, is right for you at this time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it is, a, it's an interesting mix that you experiment with, but that notion of a scale up of like, yeah, we're growing and uh, it is important to put some of these things, but maybe the word, the verbiage around it is a little different. I mean, we're, we're experimenting with like outcome-based roadmaps as well. And then maybe more quarter bounds where it's like, yeah, with second half of the year, this quarter, we expect to improve our billing system, right? Like that gives the team a little bit of ambiguity to kind of uh, um, be still creative and agile, but still give direction to the customers to say, oh, they're working on something important and impactful. Exactly. Yeah, those are all great ideas. Um, yeah. how do I'm curious, how do you guys communicate that today? It's always an interesting thing. Do you communicate in that? Is it more like initiative or like specific product is delivered in this month or like what is that level of communication to the enterprise clients? Yeah, I am in obviously communication with big enterprise clients in a B2B business like ours is really important. And we do have a customer success team, which is very focused on ensuring that there's good transparency with our customers um, you know, and, um, you know, we try to have, uh, you know, obviously an open dialogue through various forums. I mentioned a couple of things that we're starting actually this year, um, the formalized net promoter score type of survey that yeah. we're sending out actually starting next month for the first time. And we've gotten obviously tons of anecdotal feedback, ad hoc feedback from customers, but being yeah, able kind of centralizing to, it. Yeah, yeah. And also have a, um, uh, be able to to use data to establish a good baseline, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. something we haven't done before, um, and something that the marketing team, you know, is initiating and and leading that effort around. Okay, let's send out this first survey to all of our customers, get a, a real sense of how they feel about the company, get some qualitative feedback in, and then start that regular cadence every time there is a big milestone along the customer journey. And there are several for us, starting from when the deal is first negotiated and signed all the way through the delivery of the product and then you know maybe the first customer success call. So that's one thing that I think is going to be great. And then the second thing that I already mentioned also is the notion of a customer advisory board. Now, at yeah. a lot of other big companies that I've been at, this is sort of standard. You know, you do this right. pretty regularly. Um, but um, again, we haven't done it in a formal way. And the idea is that, you know, you bring together a couple of your um, key customers in non-competing spaces so that they feel free to, you know, talk uh, freely amongst each other, share insights and ideas. But we also use it as a way to test, right? Yes, love that. Test our roadmap, test 
you know, um, things that we're investing in from an R&D perspective, um, maybe even test a marketing campaign um, and get some unbiased feedback in a safe forum where they can, you know, have that dialogue with us and also with each other. Um, it's your opportunity to co-create with your users. I love that. Sure, for sure. I yeah. think it's so important. And I think that a lot of times customers want to have that, you know. Yeah. Especially in the enterprise, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're just as much invested in it as you are. And especially for us, company like Bright Machines and the solution that we offer is, you know, there's a pretty significant upfront investment that a customer has to make to be able right. to order um, a micro factory line from us. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that um, they're putting, you know, they're, jobs, reputations on the line, taking a chance on a startup like Bright Machines, and they want to make sure it goes well. So, you know, them having a voice in the process and being able to, as you said, co-create with us, um, look at creative solutions together when you hit a bump in the road. Um, I think it's important. And, and we've been really pleased at how willing a lot of these customers are to spend the time to do that with us. I, I mean, I'm yeah. being on the other side, right? I've been on the other side of the table for many, many years on the corporate yeah. side, um, talking to lots of startups. And, you know, it means a lot to the startup, but it could be one of a hundred things that the corporate client yeah. is trying to deal with that day. So, no, absolutely. I, yeah, I want, I love the notion of this kind of standardizing data and, and input and feedback from your customers and making that actionable. and you know, one, one way, one of the ways that we've done that here at Choosel, we've, we've kind of put together a, uh, an insiders program, right? It's like a selective beta group of folks that um, you can raise your hand and be a part of. And, and if you're a part of this group, then you get early access to, to interesting innovation. And it's just an easy way to, to bridge that gap and, and co-create with your users a bit more. So. So important. I mean, and not just yeah. getting, you know, again, not just getting the insights from them and co-creating with them, but also, you know, in a way, trying to turn them into an evangelist for you, right? Absolutely. When right. they're an early user, early beta tester or user, um, you know, they get jazzed up too, and they're giving you feedback and ideas on on what else you could be doing, and um, you know. Uh, eventually that's the best type of testimonial that you can get. Yeah. Let's, why don't we hop into our bit of advice or homework or um, something that our listeners can take action on this week? What would you have? You know, I think it, it I think back to, uh, you know, what you were asking me before about, you know, marketing and product, right? So kind of how do you create a good relationship between the two organizations and kind of what do you need to think about, um, when you're um, sort of managing that product definition phase. And I was thinking about something we used to say a lot at Honeywell, right, which is the company that I was at before Bright Machines. And we used to have this phrase about being market back versus technology forward. And I always thought it was really interesting um, to think about it that way, because a lot of times when you're in, especially an engineering centric company, mm -hmm. tend to think technology forward. Like, what's the next coolest thing that I could make? You know, how can I make it faster? How can I make it better? How can I add more features? Um, but that's not necessarily what the market wants, right? 
you really need to kind of make sure that you push yourself to put on the market back hat, as we would say, um, and understand what the market is telling you they need and how that understanding creates a window of opportunity for you to do things in a different way. And um, but at the same time, balance it with the technology forward piece, right? So it's not just one or the other. It's the symbiotic relationship. So it's, you know, not just technology for technology's sake, but you're using technology to solve those customer problems. And so, you know, that's why I think you can't have one without the other. You have to have the two working in concert together. And that's just kind of the essence of, product and market right and that's why they call it product market fit right i mean that those there two you go together <laughs> oh i love that yeah um I, I similarly would anchor on that collaboration piece here i mean it's very clear that you know the the departmental collaboration and can be a force multiplier for the product and the organization as a whole. And so how do you, um, how do you think and get out of that silo, right? Like how do, your departmental silo and, and, you know, how could we leverage these uh, partnerships cross departmentally for good and, and for growth? And um, I mean, we just talked about so many opportunities to do that. So I would encourage you all to think about how that works in your career and your, your company right now. And yeah, bridge that gap if it's not there. Um, be the first person to step up and, and, and do that. So, That's um, mind again. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what else, uh, where, where can people find you? Um, well, people can find me at, uh, on LinkedIn or, uh, carolyn.pan at brightmachines.com. There we go. Uh, all right. Well, they're going to reach out to you, I bet. <laughs> no, but uh, thank you so much, uh, Carolyn, for uh, being on the show today. I love chatting about this and, um, you know, um, appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, no, thank you, Kevin. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And uh, all the best to you on this podcast. Thank you. All right. looks like we uh, finished up our coffee. So go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.